Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Sessions. And today we're excited to have Laura Greer in the studio with us, actually in studio with us. Thanks, Laura, for coming. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Um, I have to say, Laura and I met, we were just kind of laughing about how long it's been, but she was the first photographer we had for the very first conference that I did, women's conference that I did. And I think it was 2011. I know. I can't believe how long ago that was. Yeah. It was a a while ago. But... um, Clearly, I'm I'm still at it, <laughs> so um, it's fun to have it's fun to have people that have been um, I've been able to work alongside and to see where they are. So why don't you tell us exactly where you are and what you've been up to with your various businesses? Oh my gosh, I think when we first met, I had just launched Beautiful Day yes, Photography, so that is my wedding and destination event photography business. I started that back in 2003. And that's still running and going well. And that led into the second business that I started, which is just my namesake. So it's Wanderlust by Laura Greer. Um, And that is my fine art, travel photography, anything travel related, my destination workshops, my mentoring, uh, my travel stock imagery, working with different brands and stuff like that, uh, boards of tourism, things like that. So that's that site. And then that led into more press jobs because I started travel writing and adding to my sort of, uh, I call myself triple quadruple threat, where you have to be a photographer, a writer, a videographer, social media guru. You have to be all these things, which led into um, doing a lot of work with PR companies and travel brands. So that I started another company called Jet Set Collective Media, and that is exactly that, a collective of writers, uh, people of all different mediums, uh, social media, visual media, written media in the travel space. So we'll do group collective jobs for hotels, for cruise lines, for boards of tourism, things like that. And then all of these passions and businesses together has recently culminated to launch my most precious passion baby right now, which is Andiana Hats. And that is my business where I'm working alongside with National Geographic Catalog and these amazing Quechua Peruvian artisans in the Sacred Valley to make hats and help empower these women to start their own businesses in the Andes. And I'm going to be selling these hats not only through the UNICEF and Nat Geo catalog, but also on our own website and through other um, e-commerce sites that support artisans around the world. So I'm really, really excited. All these things. (laughs) It's awesome to see how kind of what started back in 2003 Mm -hmm. is this passion in photography Mm -hmm. has led you to where you are today. And just for clarity, because I think a lot of the listeners that are really going to pay attention to this particular podcast are people who have multiple passions and want to actualize them in businesses or organizations. So just for clarity, Beautiful Day is wedding photography. Mm-hmm. Wanderlust is you as a travel writer, photographer. Yes. Um, Jet Set is other brands hiring you to shoot photography, write do collaboratives with other... Not just me, a whole collaborative group. I have a a whole collective of people that I call upon, so we'll come together as a team for specific jobs. Okay. Yeah. And then, obviously, Andiana Hats, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. So how did you then decide, okay, I'm gone from the photography business. I want to launch this new venture. Why didn't you just write a check to somebody who was supporting this hat company or this hat cooperative? Why did you feel like nope, I think I'm going to start in a fourth business or a fourth organization. <laughs> you know, I've done a lot of my workshops all kind of end up being philanthropic. And the reason is, and I, I'm not going to talk bad about the wedding industry at all because it's one of my favorite industries and I've been doing it for 20 years. But I started feeling after being in it for 15 years that it's sort of, um, there's so much money being spent on one day mm-hmm. and none of it is creating any type of sustainable change or like helping out any people in the long run. And it's very sort of um, wasteful of an industry in general. And I was gravitating more towards the travel industry, especially now that the travel industry is like the fastest growing industry in the planet. Like it literally, um, 
1 billion tourists in 2015 is turning into 2 billion tourists in the world by 2020. It's literally doubling in five years. And tourist dollars are making massive changes in communities. Um, where you travel to, what you do is sure. can really impact people. So when I started writing about this and seeing the, the stats and everything, I was like, oh my gosh, I was empowered to to do more. Like I could do more even just by like being very specific about where I travel to. So I started doing philanthropic workshops where I would just do my photography workshops I normally do, but build it into the cost that they're supporting a girl's education for a year in Nepal or, you know, helping out these female designers in Sri Lanka or whatever. I kind of just built it in the philanthropy into the cost of the workshop. And then I realized- Can you hang on one yeah, second? Because yeah. I think there's listeners going, how do I do those workshops yes. and what are they? Just explain what those workshops so are. So I usually lead groups um, once or twice a year to some sort of foreign locale. Um, I'm really going to be focusing on Peru this year. But uh, I usually pick a different place and I plan a whole eight to 10 day adventure trip where it's not high, it's, people get scared when you say photography workshop because they're like, what if I just don't, I want to sure. go on this cool trip. So I make it you know, accessible to anyone, whether you have an iPhone or professional camera, I'm going to take you on adventures to places that are iconic and beautiful and um, you know, photogenic. And you're going to have like a trip of a lifetime and come back with an amazing portfolio. And then there is a bit of instruction or like a couple shoots that I'll set up along the way. But mostly it's just like an adventure trip where you're getting out of your comfort zone and Okay. Having amazing images, yeah. And if somebody's interested in that, that is through Wanderlust or that is that? That's through my, yeah, exactly. Okay. MyLauraGreer.com. Okay. And, but I'm also launching trips now through Indiana Hats and we'll, okay. we'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. And we'll have all of this for our listeners. We'll have everything in the show notes so you know exactly where to link if you're interested in any of these. Okay. I interrupted you. No, Go it's back. totally fine. So I, as I was, I wanted to give back. So it was actually my trip to Nepal where I I basically built in that each person that came on the trip was going to sponsor a, a girl orphan at a part of the Unati Foundation in Kathmandu, outside of Kathmandu. And we went in there, we did a photo workshop with the girls, with the orphans. We had a gallery show at the end. And it was what I thought was doing something really great, you know, helping these girls coming in and like interacting with them and, and supporting them. The owner of the foundation, who's a friend, kind of pulled me aside later because I wrote an article about the experience. And she was like, you know... I don't want to sound bad, but what you're doing in volunteerism isn't always really helping the cause. Mm. And, it, and she's like, I know you feel like you're doing good, but like these girls are all used to being abandoned. They're orphans. And they, these people come in for a week and interact with them and then just they never will see them ever again, sure. kind of throwing money at a problem. You're, you're adding to that like, you know, that cycle of being abandoned. And then what after they graduate? what do they have to look forward to? And she was saying that she was struggling to find some sort of sustainable program where the girls are getting education. Why? There's, is there a job for them afterwards? Is there something to look forward to? Like the whole reason they're doing it was to try to keep these girls out of sex labor, sure. actually, in Nepal. So I thought about it like, oh, wow, you know, I didn't think about that. We, you think you're going in and just doing good, which we were, but it wasn't like a sustainable program. So I think that I realized quickly that when you want to do good on the planet, like you can't just throw money at a problem. And there's a lot of like social issues and things that you can't, you know, you can go build schools for girls in like a Muslim country, but it doesn't mean they want their girls to get educated. And that's a whole social issue you have to tackle. And unless you're there on the ground and working with them, like it, it's impossible to throw money at it. You can build a million schools, but you can't necessarily get the girls to go to school. Sure. So um, I just started realizing like there's got to be a better way to help. And so with the Indiana hats, I, I have been working with National Geographic's artisan catalog for eight years shooting for them. So I've had this experience and this um, relationship with them where I work with their global artisans around the world and um, and see how they're being supported. And what they're doing is they're creating a, market, a global marketplace for them to have somewhere to sell their goods, right? So a lot of these people are like long neck tribe in the middle of the mountains or the jungle somewhere, and they have no place to like sell the beaded goods or whatever they're doing. So their kids who now have like cell phones and are, you know, plugged into the modern world a little bit, still dressing the same, are, are not really inspired to keep their parents' tradition alive. They kind of want to just go into the cities and get educated and, and leave. So if, they, especially if it doesn't mean it's furthering their future. Exactly. Yeah. So these a lot of these cultural traditions are dying, and Nat Geo calls them vanishing arts. And they say that we're trying to support the vanishing arts and give them a, a way to make money so they can keep these traditions alive and, and continue to live the way that they've lived for, like, hundreds, thousands of years. So 
I thought about that. And what you have to do is basically not just throw money at it or like have a hat company that gives proceeds back to them. Like a lot of these women have never even used money before. Like they, like the idea of interacting with, with money, they're like Quechua women that don't even speak Spanish and they like grow their own food. They don't even, they, they've been self-sustaining for a long time. What they need is like healthcare and they need to like learn about commerce and how to value your time with money and how to trade and how to like be a business owner. So um, what we're doing with a nonprofit to help them is we're actually like partnering with them as business owners. Like they're the first ones that get paid. We're actually hiring them like as a business, these indigenous women to make these hats and weave for us. We purchase it at an above the fair price because we're paying into these financial you know, workshops for the women and healthcare for them and all this stuff. We're basically overpaying them and helping them create their own businesses working from home. And so they're actually the first ones who make money. And then we take those hats and obviously we upsell and sell them in the catalog and blah, blah, blah. And, and you carry the burden of actually having yeah. to get rid of the inventory versus putting that burden on the women. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yep. And so we're basically allowing them to live as they live, work how they've been doing, be at home, and they can still, you know, take care of the kids and feed the llamas and then they'll weave for a few hours and then... And what's amazing is like instantly, I'm not talking about, oh, this is going to happen. They're they're instantly shifting the culture and um, with these women because they're now making like 20 times what their husbands were making as guides at Machu Picchu or whatever they're sure. doing. And so now the whole culture shifted. Like the men have quit their jobs. They're helping take care of the kids. They're like feeding the animals. The women are the breadwinners. Their daughters now are saying, you know, I want to be like my mom. I'm like, she's my hero. And and it, and this has just happened in the last couple months. I mean, it, it's just like an instant change with them getting this revenue. Is that a culture, um, and it sounds like it is from what you're saying, where the men are not threatened by that. Um, in some cultures, like we did a podcast similar to this uh, in terms of topic, and it was about a culture where it's a real threat in Africa. It was in Swaziland, and it, it was the the insecurity that came with making more money than your husband. And once you took that money home, you were risking you know, being beaten or whatever because culturally you were shaming the man. Yeah. Is that different in in the experience that you've had? You know, very different. Um, we were actually wondering what it was going to be like if the women make more, but they really took to it positively because I think they realized it was going to better their lives and that it wasn't really going to change their lifestyle that much. It was going to allow them to not be so stressed about food, not have to work such long hours. The men weren't going to have to physically work so hard and they could just continue life in the mountains as they've been doing. So I think they're almost grateful for it. You That's know? awesome. And I mean, the women were already doing this. They were already weaving, but they now have a, a global a marketplace. marketplace for it. Yeah. That's awesome. What, when you saw all this happening and when your friend said, hey, Laura, thanks for what you're doing, but you're actually perpetuating this abandoning sort of issue or abandonment issue, and you then, you so you take this home and you say, okay, I see this opportunity, and you kind of go through the process of everything you just described to us. Again, why were you, this has to be a business that I'm a part of. This has to be an organization that I am co-founder of when I already have three other businesses. <laughs> like for I mean, a lot of people, it's like, okay, okay, so I'm not going to throw money at it, but I'll just associate myself or I'll take my, you know, my workshops to this particular part of the world or or I'll shout out that these hats are being stolen or I mean created. <laughs> I don't know why I just said that. Um, if you want to steal something, I know, totally I can. What, we won't even get into the psychology behind that. But <laughs> what? why did you say, no, I want to be a part of actually, I want to be a co-founder because you're a co-founder. Yes, this, I am correct? a co-founder. Yeah. Well, it all started because, like I said, I've been going, Peru is really special for me. I've, mm. I've gone there eight or nine times. I travel there frequently for work. I feel very connected to the energy of the Sacred Valley. I, I write about Peru all the time. It's just one of my favorite places. So uh, my business partner lives down there and I work with her a lot and she works for a Peruvian tour company. So between her company and National Geographic's Artisan Catalog, I go down to Peru fairly frequently. And so we were actually on a hike together through the Sacred Valley in, and when we came up with the hat idea, because as we were hiking through the mountains, all the women, and you've known me, I wear hats, like I'm, they literally call me the Indiana Jones of travel photography yeah. because I'm always wearing a big hat wherever I am. So I've already obsessed with hats. As we were hiking through the Andes Mountains, 
every village had these amazing Quechua women and their daughters and all of them were wearing these insane hats and they were all brought over, you know, in the 1500s by like the conquistadors from Spain. And so they have the, all these indigenous people have taken these hats and like morphed them into their own style and they weave them and they decorate them. So every, we were hiking, I kept on stopping and taking pictures of these women because I was obsessed with the hats. And like our guide kind of joked and was like, uh, like in Spanish saying that I w- your friend's obsessed with these hats. And my girlfriend's like, you don't understand. She's Indiana Jones. <laughs> and I said to her, I was like, more like Andiana Jones because we were in the Andes Mountains. It was like, you know, we're also like deprived of oxygen, like way up. I, you know, it was one of those really bad jokes. And then we both stopped and we're like, oh, my God, that'd That's be a great it? name for a hat company. And we're like, oh, my God, we could do it. And then it just started going into this whole thing because I started realizing I had been shooting the National Geographic catalog for years. I'm like, they don't do women's hats. I just, I've shot it. And I know how that works. I've seen that. I've been behind the scenes with that. So I understand that that is a truly a a global marketplace. Now all I have to do is connect the dots. I've got a partner that would be on the ground here. I have a a great name. It was really like an aha moment where I was like, wait a minute, they don't do hats. Why don't we make hats? We could help these people. We have all the connections. Like you live in Peru. I'm in LA. I've been here for years. We've worked with the Quechua people. We like speak Spanish. We we know how to make. Th- we just like, sat as we hiked for the next seven hours. We just were like, w- there's no reason why we shouldn't do this. We kind of have. We were like meant to do this. Like, yeah. We were pl- like all the things that we knew were put into place. And she has like works for a Peruvian tour company and. Um, we knew the nonprofit that was, I mean, it was just like all these things. And by the end of the hike, we had like a full business plan, like in our brains and just everything kind of planned out of like how to do it. And it wasn't, we're like, this isn't going to be that hard to do and wouldn't even cost that much to get it started. So it sounds like the answer is I had no choice. I, everything it, it came like I together. To do it. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it was almost like everything in my life, all my experiences and, and all my passions of like empowering women and helping the artisans and my workshops and everything sort of came together. Like, wait, we could, we could really make a difference through, and everyone wins because even the the ultimate customer that's paying everything down trickle down is going to end up with an amazing with, hat so it's like everyone wins in this situation okay so everyone wins i have a fourth business did <laughs> you go back to when you started beautiful day did you always know that entrepreneurship was kind of the path for you or was this it's the best way to be or the easiest way or the hardest way to be a photographer like what was it that was calling you into this kind of career that was driven by your work, your own work, um, and then subsequent entrepreneurial opportunities came up with Wanderlust and Jet Set and now Andiana Hats. Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? What was that all about? I mean, I never thought I would own some sort of clothing business, but I, when I was young, I always loved photography. It was like 13 or 14. I always thought I was going to be a marine biologist like Jacques Cousteau. I was obsessed with him and National Geographic. And my mom was actually the one who was like, you're too social. I don't see you sitting at a desk job. Like you never sit still. Like I don't really see you having a job like that. And so my mom was actually the one who was like, let's sit down and talk about why you want to be a marine biologist. And I was like, I want to do the adventures. I want to like travel like, you know, I honestly thought an archaeologist was was Indiana Jones. I didn't realize it was not that exciting. So, um, <laughs> so my mom- All due respect to every archaeologist that might be listening to this. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's very tedious. Yeah. Um, and so my mom was like, it sounds like you like the adventure and you want to travel and you like being around people and exploring. And she's like, why not be the photographer that follows around the scientists or something? My mom was the one who placed that in my head. So I had never even wow. considered photography as a career. And then when I did go to school for, I went to university for photojournalism, I, I saw it as sort of like a tool to explore the world. I really saw it as I'm going to educate myself to have this tool, but I still had no idea what kind of photography I was going to get into. So, but I knew that I would have options, right? So when I graduated, I ended up in LA and I was doing celebrity stuff. And and before that, by the way, I don't know if you know, but both my parents worked for the CIA. And I feel like I did. <laughs> I knew the Jack Cousteau piece, and I feel like I know this, but it's because I've interviewed you before years yeah, ago. Yeah, many years yeah. ago. And so it was funny because that was a job. Because if you're the daughter or son of, a, of an agent, you're, you've are you been background checked, right? So they try yeah. to, like, woo you into the agency. And so I worked all through college in their PPG, their photo printing group. And it was, like, laid out for me. Like, this is the career path. Like, they had a job waiting for me out of college. I had top secret clearance, which is really hard for people to get. And I was like, this is the most uncreative. I was thinking of working in a bunker underground. And it was really fascinating work to be in the know. But I couldn't talk about what I did with anyone. If I traveled, it was going to be super dangerous travel. And 
And I just was like, this isn't the path I want to, why, how I want to do travel photography. So I, that's when I just moved out to LA and started, you know, just working underneath other photographers and celebrity stuff. My parents are like, what are you doing? You have this job for, you know, and I was like, well, my fallback plan was working for the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's a good fallback. <laughs> I was like, I'll just go live out of my car and try this whole celebrity photographer thing for a minute. And if it doesn't work, because you have like your clearance for three years. I was like, oh, I just like that's my fallback, fallback plan. It's ridiculous. Um, it's a good but, story. It's a good story. <laughs> but anyway, everything kind of led to working in weddings. And I was really um, never thought about like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, but I knew I was never going to have a traditional desk job. I mean, that's why I went into photography because I knew, I didn't know what that was going to look like. If I was going to work for another photographer, what kind I was going to do. And when I started working for, um, other wedding photographers, I realized I could do this business. It's really exciting. And I was getting a lot of destination weddings just through my sisters mm -hmm. living in Europe, through all my travels, I'd meet people. So the wedding photography was what got me into travel photography was from all my destination weddings. So kind of is just like everything is kind of led back to what I originally wanted to do, you know, and it evolved into it. It's kind of interesting. And so, so in the kind of go back to that eight year old self who wanted adventure, who wanted that life, um, where you could get to know other cultures, you could be social, you could talk about the work that you yeah. do. It wasn't, um, a secret. Uh, what part of you felt like, or let me ask it this way, back then, did you understand that social impact was kind of an, in, like an inherent need that you had, that I wanted to find something that, that bridged that I'm doing this adventurous thing with my life, but at the end of the day, I also want to have this piece. Did that grow organically or was that something you knew back no, then that you wanted to? No, that grew to... organically. Not that I didn't care at all about the sure. world. But I think, you know, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you, you're a little more selfish. Like, you, I mean, in a good way, like you're exploring, you're traveling, you're having fun. And I think I was so focused on making money, especially in the wedding industry. Every You know, you go to all these conferences and everyone's talking about like, how do you deal with your millionaire versus your billionaire clients? Or like, what? Like, these are yeah. the things they're actually talking about. Um and so you're just kind of caught in this thing of like making money, it's exciting and blah, blah, blah. And I think that even as I just get older, I'm I'm also becoming more of a aware, like um, person that wants to have more intention in my life. And mm -hmm. I think as I started doing travel writing, I realized it was, it was a big shift in my life when I started travel writing because I was having to pay attention in a different way. I was having to like read about the like the political situation or cultural situation or sure. I was having to understand more of what I was seeing before I went and captured it instead of just walking around like oh that wrinkled lady looks cool I'll take that photo I actually had to go in with a specific idea and shoot like a, you know something that's going on in the world and then I started realizing like wow it's really more powerful when you have intention behind your photography and then I started thinking of having intention behind the words and how important the words I was using with my imagery and then that led into just being like kind of disillusioned a little bit with the wedding industry. And I started, instead of paying for all these summit, like the engage conferences, I decided I want to be more global. I want to be a global woman and I want to, um, I'm already traveling all the time. I want to go to these global summits. So I, I've been only going to summits, like it's actually called summit or, um, you know, and, and different. And it's a, it, and it's an, uh, a conference, if you will, in mm -hmm. the wedding industry? Well, Engage no. is a conference in the wedding industry, but okay. Summit is a conference. It literally is called a thought festival. Okay. An so idea it's like festival. thought leaders, thought leaders think tank and, sort of exactly, concept. Exactly. And like tech entrepreneurs and scientists and okay. creatives and everything. And I, I went to one of these conferences and something, God, it was like the guy, I mean, it was incre incredible. They had 4,000 people on a cruise ship to Necker Island, from Miami to Necker Island to visit yeah. Richard Branson's Island. Yeah. And everyone, I mean, I was like in the hot tub with, you know, Travis, who's the founder of Uber and like, yeah. you know, just all these crazy people that you just were meet at breakfast or whatever. And one of the guys, the opening remarks, I forget who it was. Um, he's a big tech entrepreneur. He made a comment saying, if all of you sitting in this room are here for four reasons, you're an entrepreneur, you are successful you are giving back in some way because they actually like interview you in order to get in the summit and you have to be involved in some sort of philanthropy or whatever. And they said, and they basically challenged everybody sitting in the room saying, you're in this position where it's your duty to like give back. It's your duty to create change in the world. Like we, like we are this elite group that has the ability to make change. And 
because of that, it's our responsibility to do it. And I just, that really struck me because it was like, we're very blessed. Like whether we won the genetic lotto and we were born in the right place at the right time, or somehow we had a lucky break or we had the right education or whatever, we all ended up in this space with these amazing people. And, and I was like, God, that's right. Like I have all these tools and, and all this experience and I'm traveling the world and I can influence people through my stories. Like I, I, I'm, I should do more. Right. And so that was sort of the aha moment for me, I think. Was and there. then that kind of in the back of your head then led to the eight hour hike where you could, it was like, yeah. that was already there. Well, then I just started surrounding myself with people like from the summit, like, and not even just summit hmm. from there's groups like Habitat or even Burning Man, believe it or not. And like I all these groups it, yeah. that are just people that are really conscious. Um, and they're very sort of like awakened They're you know, they're, they're open to spirituality and to, um, not just enlightenment, I'm not even talking hippie stuff, but like tech and they're just basically open-minded people that are like very well-versed in lots of like mind, body, and spirit in their life. They're just more open and creative people. And I think I started surrounding myself with that. And, and just by default, everyone's involved in some sort of giving back or I don't know, it just kind of evolved from there. But I yeah. think as I got older, I, I started being like less selfish, being like, oh my gosh, I don't want to just like go to Africa for the sake of going. Like there has to be a greater purpose or I, I could make a difference while I'm there. Or I want to be really strategic and purposeful about like the places I choose to go. Like if I do a workshop, I want to go somewhere where it can benefit that community or something, you know? Um, yeah. So I think it's just as I get older, I'm trying to, you know, I think that's more my mentality because stepping into my 40s yes it's a good decade <laughs> I just ended says. it I oh just ended God, it I, I'm stepping into the next one. Oh my god yeah. I, I feel like I it gets better and better tell, me, tell me it gets better and better it I does feel, okay it does I've uh, I had a friend when I turned 40 who said it was the no shit decade like you just you can you just don't need to apologize for things you can kind of do what you want and say what you want in a meaningful mindful yeah. way we're not it's not you know not caring for people i think 50 um feels like there's definitely some tension of okay now what mm -hmm. like i you realize that your yeses and your noes really matter because yeah. not everything is an option and you can't have it all and um, I stand behind that statement for those who don't want to hear it. You can't. And that's what's so precious about the things that you choose is that um, there it's limited, yeah. there, you know, and you can't, you can have some things, but not at the same time. Yeah. So uh, I think 50s, just the being intentional feels like it's probably the name of that decade yeah. or for me anyway, that's the theme. So you've done these four businesses in particular, this fourth one that's so different from the other three, um, both in the impact, but also just now you're actually shipping goods. Like yeah. you, there, there's there's some different parts of this. What's been the hardest part of setting Andiana up for success, and what do you th in the in the launch phase? And then what would you say continues to be hard? in the, in the process. So again, for those people who are listening, it's like, yeah. okay, let me take notes. Yeah. So either I don't do that or I just know that's part of the game. Um, I think that initially the ongoing struggle I'm going to have to kind of answer it backwards is time management, hands mm. down. Like honestly, in my calendar, I, I spoke with an intuitive business coach and she told me to write that it's, you know, top five, things in your life of importance, you know, whether it's relationship, um, which project work or kids, whatever it is, write it importance and then literally look at your calendar and calendar everything you need for the number one priority first, like calendar every, like all the dates you need to book out to make that successful and then move down the two and three. And so like fun was on my top five, you know, but it didn't trump the hat company. So there are a couple of times where I looked at, I took her advice and I looked at my calendar. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to cancel this trip because that's just a fun trip. And like, it's, I really need to do something more yeah. work related here. And, and, and it was actually a really good exercise of moving things around, um, based on level of importance. Cause I, I ordinarily just cram everything into my calendar. And if I look and see like a, an open gap of like a day or two, I'm like, Ooh, I can cram something in there. Right. So it's like, it was really nice to be able to like shape it in a way of importance, but I think that's going to be an ongoing struggle with me to balance all these businesses and my time and my relationships and things. Um, but 
What was the original question before that? So what was the hardest part of launching that business? The hardest part of launching is that we just like literally had no idea. Like you said, I've only been in the service industry really my entire life and not in any type of goods. And not only that, we had to trademark, which I had no idea what to do. We had to um, figure out international customs shipping charges mm -hmm. and get a power of attorney customs broker. And like, I mean, things that we, I, I didn't even know until we would just talk to people and they're like, oh, what's your selling seller's permit number so we can set up your, I'm like, oh God. Just a second. Wait, uh, let, uh, let me Google that. Let me, I'll be right back. You know, it's a, we're literally like going on like legal zoom and figuring out partnership agreements and whatever. Sure. And so we, a lot of this we were doing from this Incan you know, ancient Incan fort town, Ollantaytambo in the middle of the mountains, we're like building a website in Squarespace and like figuring out partnership agreements and like doing stuff. And, you know, then I had to go to Vietnam and I'm like literally on a cruise, like doing a shoot for this cruise company and, you know, had to get service to talk to the customs broker agent, like had to do this phone call. We've been trying to reach each other. So I had to like take a dugout canoe to the side of some village, like try to get service, like talking to the guy. I mean, like the struggle was trying to manage all the logistical stuff mm -hmm. that we had, we weren't prepared for and didn't have any idea. And not only that, like we had to figure out how do we get the woven goods from deep in the mountains to Lima to be able to ship out and like make sure the quality control is good. And there's just, you know, and you can't um, overwhelm these women either. Like they're, they're not yeah. factory workers. They literally weave like a few hours a day whenever they feel like it. So if you give them a job, you don't really know when it's going to be done. So we were just trying to think of like, how are we going to scale this without effing up our entire business? Like mm -hmm. if we just get everyone excited and then they order a hat and it takes mo like weeks to get it, like we're going to ruin our business. So we had to really figure out like, how do we do this? So we hired multiple communities that do all of the weavings for the hats, like the heart, most painstaking part, like mm -hmm. get like a surplus of that. And then the hat making, putting it together itself is actually really fast. So that's kind of how we structured it is that we're going to have a surplus of, of the hard labor-intensive parts of the hat. Which means that you guys are paying that out. Yeah, up we're paying it out front. of pocket out yeah. front, but it's going to save our asses when we have to deliver hats in a timely manner later on. So that was the only way we could think of doing it without stressing out these women because the whole idea is like not to stress them out. We're building sure. a business and everyone's happy. You're wanting to contribute to their yeah. lifestyle and sustain the art. Like they don't even created. understand that their hats are going to become insta famous and all this stuff. Like these yeah. women don't even like probably don't even care. They're just like excited to to have a business, but they they don't understand that there is someone clicking on a computer far away that wants this delivered to them within a week. You know, like yeah. they, they, it's not well, that's not job. part of the culture. Yeah. They don't have the Amazon prime yeah. mentality. I know. <laughs> so it's true. That, so next, that's the hardest part is that we're trying, we have to be very conscious of their cultural practices and, and what their yeah. lifestyle is. Like it's important to go spend time with them there and see how they actually do it. So you're like, oh, okay. I understand. I, I think that's super insightful. And again, for anybody listening to both know, we didn't know what we were doing and we were still able to do it. Mm -hmm. um, LegalZoom is always a great place mm -hmm. to start. Um, most people won't have to canoe to get service. So that takes that out of, out of it. Um, and then also that time to, to yeah. really think about what to, to project out, what are the issues that could come up? And in this particular case that would mess up the infrastructure, both in the business and selling, but also the intention, yeah. why we set out to do this with these women in the first place. Um, okay. Thanks for that. We're going to now transition a little bit into picking your brain and getting okay. all the goods out because again, there are listeners who are creative and entrepreneurial and might be doing something similar and maybe struggling along the way, or maybe thinking about how do I incorporate this into my, um, existing business or, um, or set out to, to start this whole thing. And just to be clear, are you guys a nonprofit or are you for profit? We're for profit. Um, so for all of you people who think social impact has to equal nonprofit, Laura's here to tell you otherwise, which is awesome. Um, okay. So as a photographer, you tend to sort of work alone a lot and you're mm -hmm. on these trips. And it sounds like through Jet Set and some of these other things that you have these collaborative opportunities. Mm -hmm. But how important has it been for you to connect with other creatives and entrepreneurs along the way? Because one of the things that I think a lot of people in hearing your, it's a, it's a very sexy job and a very sexy story. And I'd love for you to paint a little bit of a, hey, just wait a minute. If you're this kind of personality, you might want to think twice yep. or you may want to scaffold yourself with 
relationships and community. So can you speak to that piece a little bit? Yeah. Well, I'm all about community and I'm all about sharing information. I, I think that um, in order to be an expert at anything, you have to be a teacher and you have to have um, be able to collaborate and not be afraid to share information. So I, like I've never understood when I've heard photographers being like, oh, my gosh, like, I love how you edited that. And they're like, oh, sorry, it's my little special sauce. Can't tell you how I did it. And that means that they're either really, you know, I don't know. They're either it's a mentality of scarcity. We yeah, talk about that exactly. all instead of abundance. Like, I feel like I yeah. come from abundance and I feel like I, I want to help everybody because not that I didn't have help. I definitely had help. But when I first graduated, I didn't have any mentors or anybody to really tell me like, what now? Okay, you have a photography degree. You can't afford a camera. How do you start a business? Like sure. no idea. And so I, I always mentor, give back. I actually started a women's entrepreneurial group that meet at my house once a month. And I just feel like the, the common theme is everybody introduces themselves, talks about whatever passion project they're working on. And then everyone was like, oh, I can help you with this. Or do you need this or whatever? And I'm just connecting people to be like, there's a way that you can get help with what you're working on. And everybody knows somebody, some way to help each other or vice versa. And so that was something that I'm really big on building community. In fact, like all of my apartments I've lived in when I've had roommates and we all have been in creative jobs. We'll just have creative work sessions where people come over with their laptops and, you know, one's a blogger and I'm a photographer and this person's like a chef and blah, 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 and a writer. And we all end up like collaborating and helping each other finish certain projects and stuff. And I think it's also because, you know, you can end up working by yourself on a laptop a lot. Like there's many sure. hours that I could just be by myself and that's great, but I do love having that creative energy around me. It just, you know, working on shoots together with people. And like, I need that kind of, like, I'm more productive when I'm around a community of people working, whether they're photographers or not. Sure. And we hear that. I hear that all the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, working with a lot of people who are sort of in these solo careers or even people who have a big staff, yeah. they don't feel like that's a space where they can be they can totally let their hair down. Yeah. And so it's nice to have those opportunities. Um, little plug for Liberty membership, by the way. <laughs> um, okay. So more and more women, going back to kind of your Andiana story, more and more women in particular are really looking at the social impact space, whether it's for-profit or non-profit. I'm so glad that you guys are for-profit because I think a lot of people make assumptions mm -hmm. about when you're doing anything good yeah. in, in, um, in business and assume that it needs to be a for-profit. Why did you choose to, one, be a for-profit? Did you think there was an opportunity or a model where if we choose nonprofit, we can raise money, we can, we can do some things that impact this particular project in a different way? Or perhaps maybe because you were already behind the scenes with Nat Geo and understood what they were doing, you're like, I can see, I see how this can be a for-profit yeah. venture. I think it was just I, I always thought of it as for profit. I thought of it as a way to make these help these women become entrepreneurs themselves. And like, honestly, I, I was never I don't like the idea as it going back to like of throwing money at a problem. Yeah. I, I don't think that helps anything. It's not creating a way for them to be self-sustaining like themselves. You know, like I don't um, even Nat Geo's artisan catalog. I mean, they're all for profit and everyone can make money. Like literally sure. every person involved makes money. So I don't see why. It has to be a nonprofit. Like I get it if it's a situation where you're trying to like build wells or do things or yep. you're bringing in, you know, um, information. And There's not a sellable product yeah. or service to the, the the end user. Exactly. Like so, but this is actually, you know, taking something that they already do in their own, you know, traditions and yeah. helping them make a business out of it. Feels like there's integrity in the process when you're selling a product and making money. And it's only fair that they should be able to also sell a product and make money. Yeah. And that if it's for profit in your particular situation, it's more sustainable long term. Yeah. That that it's not about going out and raising those funds. It's about can we continue to sell this product to a consumer that wants it for a price that's fair? And what's really cool is we know exactly how much these women are making. Like we we pay them. Like so it's not like if you give to an organization you don't actually know how much money really gets back to the artisans. How, yeah, because it has to get filtered through all the administrative yeah. needs of the organization. That's awesome. I, uh, I, I hope a lot of listeners are paying attention to that. We just did a podcast that was more of the model you were talking about. It was for um, getting technology to small kids. And in that situation, 
being for profit didn't make sense. It right. wouldn't ultimately trickle down to the um, to the kids that needed the technology. Right. So I'm glad we're doing these because it's it's good for people to listen to both and sort of do their due diligence. What is it that I'm ultimately trying to accomplish, and why does this one make more sense? Okay, so. Other small businesses come to you. They want to do the same thing. They want their own sort of social impact piece. What's your first piece of advice to them? To any other business that wants to do this? Yeah. Ooh, is it in the travel space or products or anything? Anything. So we'll say it's um, – I'll make something up. She is uh, an ice cream company. And she's like, it's great that I make all these ice creams, but I really want a social impact piece. I love what you're doing where do you think I should start? Um, maybe sourcing ingredients from a place where like that community could grow new ingredients for them or like basically create flavors for them or something like that and and make idea. it like something like that where that they could buy from this group and it could be even like a special like every time you buy this flavor, you're supporting these people or whatever, you know, it could be something like that. But I mean, there's always a way to tie it back. Somehow. So it sounds like your advice is tie it into what you're currently doing well. Yeah. Like if you're already selling ice cream and you're doing it well and you have a reputation for it, don't necessarily start something that that's kind of off the beaten path. Try and tie it into what you're already doing. Yeah. I mean, actually, there's a part of the hats which you didn't even talk about is so our our hats are handmade out of um, alpaca wool, but then there's a woven band, which is what the indigenous women are doing. And the Quechua people, their language is woven. Like they actually don't have a written language. And it's like the ancient Inca language that's been passed down. So we want had the idea of wanting to have intention bands where when you whoever wears a hat chooses which band goes on their hat. And each of the bands are like a woven like it's like a potato flower design, which means abundance or like love or vitality or whatever. So we wanted to activate the person who wears it what they can decide or even buy seven different bands to match to adorn one hat. And so then this has turned into a whole idea where Nat Geo actually was like, what if we got different bands from different our different artisans around the world? They work in nine different countries. Um, what if we had all these choices from all these different indigenous groups from all over the world and you could decide who you want to help or pick out ones you like best or have seven or eight to adorn one hat or even just buy the bands adorn an already existing hat you have. And then you could help many different communities around sure. the world by buying our hats. And I was like, that's brilliant. And sustaining that art. Exactly. What did, then, what did you call it? The, the intention? Visible, oh, but vanishing in, art. Vanishing art, yeah. And, and so then um, I was like, that's such a great idea. So we're like in talks with them about it. And then I had a meeting yesterday where this woman's like, we work with this Huichol um, community in Mexico, and they do all this amazing beading. Um, we really want to sell these beaded bracelets, to, um, and the proceeds go back to like this foundation we're doing to like help save their land from the government, you know, chopping down all the trees in the jungle and taking away their lands. And so then I thought about it and I was like, what if, what if we did a specialized band of just the, like a beaded band for our hat? And then every time somebody buys a band like that, um, it, the, you know, the proceeds or whatever go towards your cause. And then we just started thinking like, holy crap, this could be like a whole thing where yeah. we could have different um, causes that we love or different communities we want to help, like be making these bands and selling them to us. And, and it could be like. You know, it's like your Armstrong bracelet thing, except for on your hat. And you can decide. Exactly pretty. <laughs> and really pretty and really cool. And, like, you could literally decide your, like, intention. Like, we our hat our hashtag is wear your intention. So it's like you could literally wear whatever intention you want. Like, if I want to help this cause or, like, I want to bring abundance in my life or whatever, you could have that band on your hat. And, I, and it was, like, all these ways that I could see it being, like, creative and fun and, yeah. and still be able to give back and, and be a – for profit, you know? Yeah. I love that it's also weaving because yeah. so many cultures and ancient traditions include weaving. Yeah. So you get to incorporate something that is already a part of what they've been doing for yeah. centuries into what you guys are doing. That's very cool. Yeah. that's And the, I think the big takeaway for listeners, again, is trying to do something that's inherent in in what you do well. Try, you know, go back to Not the ice cream. the wheel. <laughs> yeah. And just um, making it an extension of what you already do yeah. versus like, you don't need to, you don't need to go out and try and create something random. I feel like your, your consumer, your follower, your fan will see through that versus this is what I do well. And how can I include that 
Um, and people you tell know. when you're passionate about something too. Like Absolutely. I, I feel like just the story itself has, is taken on like a life of its own because we're all just sharing it so much because we're so excited about working on this project. Okay. So now you're, you're so much of it is fueled by this excitement, but then there's the reality yeah. of the day to day. So what are some kind of small business hacks, apps that you use, anything that you would like to share with us, kind of your, your secrets um, as you think of being focused and organized and staying efficient, especially with somebody who has such a crazy travel schedule. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, using multiple, like Google calendar has like my life. I'm constantly like, I've shared calendars of different businesses and like color code everything. And I'm like, my calendar is constantly shifting, but I would say the app that helps me the most, because at the same time, I, I have maybe nine trips at any given time throughout the year that I'm wow in talks with planning, whether it's planning a retreat in the fall, um, talking about this, pre you know, with this one company about um, booking flights and excursions for this one thing, or like a bride whose wedding is going to be in a, and there's like visiting my family at home. Like I'll have all these like logistical things that I have to organize at the same time. It's like rental cars and hotel reservations, whatever. So my biggest hack is my favorite app of all time called TripIt. And I, it's free and it's literally the most genius thing ever, but um, it's a free app. You download it. And anytime you get like a rental car reservation, hotel reservation, flight reservation, you just forward the email to plans at tripit.com and it automatically populates it by date, trip, everything into this app. And so, um, and it puts everything together, like all your rental car, your hotel, it gives you like updates in real time of like your gate was changed or like this or da da da. And so, so it's a full itinerary of all these disparate like yep. things that you have to do to organize your like when I land, yep. everything that has to yep. happen. And it does it by trip instantly. So like if I'm if I, someone's like, hey, what time are you flying in to, you know, Peru in the fall? I can just look at my trip app and it's like light, like itemizes all my trips. I just click on it and I can tell them right away. And it works offline, too, which is huge. Like there's times you need to like check your yeah. flights and whatever. Or you sometimes have to get into an airport before you have your boarding pass. But you have to show your passport and boarding pass to get into the airport. Yeah. It happens a lot in foreign places. So I'm like, crap, I don't have a boarding pass. So if you show that itinerary and your passport, that works to get in. So I can't even tell you how many times that app has it just saved me so much time because ordinarily I would just have all my travel stuff in a folder and I'm like digging through like which American <laughs> Airlines flight was that? Like, I don't know. And um, it's just so complicated. But so that's been like a, the biggest like organizational. Okay. So trip it, Google Calendar. How about some photography hacks? It's hard yeah. to have you in the room and not want to pick your brain for some, those of us who, especially with social media, yeah. who are looking for ways to edit and create our own visual content. Anything you can tell us? I definitely use Snapseed. I don't know if you've heard of that. I love no, I that know. app. It's like my favorite, Snapseed. Why do you love it? Um, it is super easy to use. Like you just use your finger up and down for the menu and left and right to make it more saturated or not okay. or whatever. So it's sort of like Photoshop in two seconds. I mean, you can do yeah. a lot of different things um, with it really quickly. And it made me, I never liked taking my cell phone around and taking pictures because compared to my yeah. professional images, it was like a joke. And so I was like, I can't, you know, on my Instagram post, a, you know, a non-professional picture versus a professional. And now they, I can make it look like a professional image from my cell phone. And so I use my cell phone all the time for social media stuff. Um, and yeah, it was sort of a game changer for me on that. Okay. That's yeah. a good one for us mm -hmm. to have. Um, and then there are um, people who are listening who perhaps, again, are in that kind of startup phase or they've been at this business for a while and need just a little bit of encouragement. What, what do you want to say to those entrepreneurial women who are, I don't know if I can do this or, man, I've been doing this for a while and I can't seem to get traction or I can't seem to hit whatever success is for me, whether it's financial or otherwise. What do you want to say to them? Oh, my gosh. Um I'm always kind of like take the leap of faith sort of girl. I, I honestly feel like most of our lack of success comes from just fear of change mm. or fear of moving forward or just comparing ourselves to others, which I think we all do all the time. You like look at someone else's, you know, Instagram feed or Facebook and you're like, oh my God, they're doing so much better than I am, you know, and right. you have no idea what's going on behind the surface. They could be like super struggling or whatever. So I think it's just taking out the 
instead of comparing, use that as like fuel, as motivation, or, you know, the people that you feel like the most jealous about, why don't you reach out to them and try to collaborate with them, you know? And I, and I feel like that's always been, you know, then you'll learn really quickly, like, it's not so scary. They're actually struggling and doing things too. And they might actually be an ally to you. And I just think that I try to take out the, a lot of it is just fear and envy is like what stifles Mm -hmm. people. So I would just say, you know, um, if you're struggling, talk to someone or reach out and have coffee with someone who you think isn't struggling, maybe they are, or someone you aspire to be like, and, and have a real conversation with them and see like that they're not this unattainable, like what they're doing isn't unattainable. Like, you know, and there's all these steps that you can do to get there. But I also say that when I get stuck, cause we all do, like you just said, like what now? Like, I think we all have the, what now I have it. Like every few months I have like a, what am I doing? Yeah. moment. But I think that when I get overwhelmed, I will write down all the things that I want to do, like all the goals. And I will put them in order of like calendar of importance, but then I'll do one thing that day towards all of those goals. It could be a phone call, a text, um, piece of research or like, and I feel like that gets the, the energy and the ball going, you know? Yeah. So, if, and, and, and if you just itemize it and like calendar and timeline it and break it down, it isn't so overwhelming. Like you're like, I don't know how to get this started. It's like, okay, well, what could you do today towards it? What could you push off till tomorrow? And, and I think when you break it down in the bite-sized bits like that, it, it all of a sudden you're like, you'll get traction and like things start yeah. happening, you know? So yeah. it's really just like the being overwhelmed and feeling stuck is a lot of it's mental, I think. I think you're so right. I mean, it's how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time yeah. kind of thing. And I think the whenever we ask first, on when we ask entrepreneurs like you, like, what's your advice? It's always just start, just go, just move. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. And, you know, somebody at some point um, in one of these interviews said kind of do it and then iterate, iterate, iterate. Like, yeah. it's uh, that's that is – that is exactly what you're doing. It's one of the reasons I recommend, unless you're looking for like venture money, you don't need to write a business plan. No. Because oftentimes you get so stuck in that process that it is this like, uh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And you spend a lot of time working through problems that don't even exist yet and ignoring problems that you're actually going to have once you're out in the marketplace. And if you just take those small steps, you can sort of work through what the issues are. Not so different from what you no. did with with the hats. Yeah, but not only that, like I, the same thing that I do with my women's groups where I have them come and we talk about our passion projects, like what do we need help with? I think you need to be vocal with people instead of afraid to talk about your challenges. I think you need to be vocal, like I need help right now or like this is something I'm struggling with. Yeah. That when you start saying things out loud, people around you will help and like things will start happening. It's when you like keep it all in and you're like all freaked out and, and you know, you're not going to, no one's going to be a mind reader. And no, but I find that anytime I've, said things out loud, like, God, I really wish that I could find a web designer. And someone would be like, I know someone, you know, it's, sure. you just have to put it out there and, and, and be willing will- to. How long did it take you to figure that out? I don't know. I talk all the time. So I feel like it just, <laughs> I just realized <laughs> the more that I, like, honestly, one of my biggest breaks was, um, I was like in the bathroom, I was at this conference and I was in my head just thinking how I always wanted to go to Lake Como. And I was, had been that day emailing out to random hotels about wanting to go to Lake Como. And I was in the bathroom because the speaker at this conference was super boring at the time. And so this woman in front of me in line and I was like, oh, you thought they were boring too? And she started laughing and I was like, and or she said that to me. And then I was like, yeah, I was actually spent the whole time talking and like trying to figure out what hotel I want to go to in Lake Como. And she was like, we're looking for a photographer to go to this hotel for us. And like, oh my gosh, like, I swear to God, it was like one of those things we're in the bathroom in line. And I was like, this is so crazy. And it was, it was because I said it out loud, you know? And so you never know when like a happy accident like that might happen too. I don't know. Thank you for leaving us with that. I think a lot of people will listen to this and then go into a bathroom, say something about Lake Como and see what happens. Maybe not the best idea. Um, Okay. So before we let you off the hook, we do this little quick six where we ask you six questions and just tell us first thing that comes to mind. Okay. So do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule? Oh, flex schedule. Um, I had a feeling you'd say that. (laughs) And vacationing on the beach or in the mountains? Mountains. That's a surprise. I, I live I, on the beach. That's okay. Why. So okay, yeah. you're like I need a break. <laughs> and then work from home or office. Uh, ooh, home. Okay. What What was the hesitation? Well, because sometimes it's fun to be in like a work. Like I like where we are right now. We work, but I. Yeah. Um. But no. But home being in my PJs, like coffee in the ocean. Yeah, for sure. That's easy. Um. Okay. And then working alone or with a team. It sounds like you've had experience with both. 
I love both a lot, probably equally, because I think I have to be so on all the time, especially when I shoot events. I have to be in a room of like hundreds of people and talking to them and managing them and traveling and da-da-da. That sometimes just being with my music and my PJs like editing, I like look forward to my long editing days sometimes. Because so you it's can just, just I need like a break from like humanity. Like I don't have to put makeup on and like talk to anyone. And so sure. I go I go through my phases. But I love in general, I'd rather be with a collaborative group. It's nice to know that you need both and then you can sort of schedule your life mm -hmm. accordingly. Like I can't go long, long stretches alone or I can't yeah. go long, long stretches with people all the time. Um, I always say this is the hardest question. Thai or Mexican food? Thai. Thai. Spicy? No. Oh. oh. Yeah, I know. But lots of flavor. You know why? Because I actually had like the most horrific experience <laughs> with the Thai pepper in Thailand. Like, I, like literally. Never again. Like never. I can't. Uh, like like burns? Like it was a, a literally a tiny speck, like almost like a, a speck of salt was how big this pepper was in my rice. It like accidentally ended up in my rice. And it was like my brain was on fire. Like okay. I can't even... Like my, I was crying. It was like coming on my nose. Like I don't even know. So. Okay, we'll forgive you for because yeah. that's a really good. That's a really good reason to not like this. Why do we get to end on these really weird, no. <laughs> weird ones? <laughs> no, the last one's a good one. Okay. So, um, our podcast is called Liberty Sessions. Our brand Liberty. Our URL Liberty for her. This is a really important word um, for this company. What does it mean for you to be liberated? Oh my gosh. I always talk about, someone asked me why I wanted to be a photographer and we did the whole exercise of peeling down the onion, like mm -hmm. down the layer to the very bottom. And the core of what we got down to was freedom. And for me, and for me, it was like I, every choice I make in my life, if you go down to it, ends up being about having freedom. And that could be creative freedom, freedom to make my schedule, freedom to make my own decisions, to be able to travel where I go, like have the I don't know, like freedom means a lot of different things. Even I, I realized that there's nothing that's stopping me from going anywhere in the world. And I don't know if that's just because I'm lucky and I'm born in the U.S. and Americans have a lot more ease in that way. But if someone is like, I want to go to Bhutan, like I literally could find a way, book a ticket, go there, get on a flight. And and I'm I'm really have a lot of freedom in my life that a mm -hmm. lot of other people don't have in the world. And so I, I think that I'm really I don't want to lose sight of that. I want to be appreciative of it every day, but it's also something that really drives me. Like every decision I make in my business is allowing me to live a lifestyle like this and be able to make choices and not have someone tell me I can't do something. Like I just, I don't, I don't, I don't do well at the word no. So, <laughs> but like freedom is a lot of things. It's, it's really, you know, just, um, freedom to be happy and to be, and mm. to speak your truth and to, you know, be, be creative, honestly. So It sounds like that sort of liberated freedom is something that you're bringing into the lives of the women through your hat company. So it's cool how that's full circle. Yeah. I mean, honestly, these women already live very free lives. It's not like I'm helping them out of sex slavery or something like that. But they, you know, they don't have a lot of like they just got ambulance service to them. Like if the women are mm. pregnant, need to go to the hospital. Like they just got it because they had, we were able to like help with programs for them to get that. And so there's little things that would make their life so much easier with money, but mm -hmm. they're actually really, they, they've got it figured out. You know, they're like very tapped into the energy of the earth and just like, they don't leave any waste. There's no plastic. They like weave bags and carry stuff around in their groceries with it. Like they've, they've got it figured out a little bit more than we do at times. There's a great, you've probably seen it and I can't think of the name of the restaurant you will know, but do you ever watch, um, what's the Netflix cooking series? Chef's Table. And it, there's one about um, Peru. Somebody was just telling me about it's that. I haven't seen it. beautiful and I... As you as you've been talking, these are the women that I'm picturing. So mm -hmm. I want you to see it and then yeah. go, yeah, that's them. Yeah. Or no, no, that's oh, I'm not sure them. It it's sure. amazing. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Anyway, that's a little. We'll have that in the show notes as well. Well, you should come. To, have you ever been to Peru? <clears throat> Um, we know that we're doing women's retreats starting in the fall. We're well, bringing people down let's, to Peru. Let's talk about that and let's talk about how we can weave in our Liberty listeners and our Liberty membership because I think there's a couple ways that we can figure out how to work together, yeah. um, which is exactly what this whole thing is about. <laughs> so, Laura, thanks so much for being with us. It's fun to see you. It's fun to hear your story and see how you've evolved Um in having an impact not only on your own life, but the lives of so many women and now the lives of our listeners Yay. who get to use your story to sort of create their own. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Liberty listeners. Um, I'm sure that you will find this episode chock full of information. 
It's great to be in your ear this week, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower.